Hey, this is John Harcher. We got another Valleys of Numenor uh, off the top of my head special. Uh, this one is by request. A couple of the people who have been listening to the series of uh, Conan podcasts asked me where a couple of the ideas came from. They said, oh, I think, I think, is this supposed to be from there? Or was this, wow, where'd that come from? So I said, okay, I'll do like a, uh, uh, for those of you who know the uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen by Alan Moore, there's a guy, both online and I think in books, named Jess Nevins, who's gone through every single League of Extraordinary Gentlemen book, comic, whatever, and has literally gone page by page, panel by panel, and picked out where all these obscure references, well, this is referring to uh, John Carter. This is referring to the H.G. Wells story here. This is referring to a penny dreadful from 1847. Yeah, that, in that depth of knowledge he would put in it. It's, it's quite a list. And it's, if, you, if you have time, <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting look. But anyway, I'm not going to be going that in depth. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to scroll through my scripts and just rattle off notice whatever didn't come from a Robert E. Howard story, whatever I added in, I'll just make a note on it. Yeah, I will edit the uhs and ums out. You know, Unfortunately, when I'm making the videos off the top of my head, can't edit those yet. Hopefully in a couple months, I'm going to get my updated, updated computer and have more software to deal with and everything. So let's go back to, okay, our first part. Uh, I started off with the Numidian Chronicles, figured that's a good basis to start off there. And um, I did add a bunch of the other countries, uh, like Hyperborea, Koth. I added those. It's just because I just wanted to flesh it out fully. And there was actually on, uh, on the boards of Robert E. Howard boards that we're on so often somebody brought up that in the uh the conan rpg game from a couple years back that they actually made the analogy of what country was what so let me just rattle some off quickly aquilonia was france argos is italy asgard and vanaheim is the, the viking countries uh denmark norway not finland though uh the Moroccan isles were the caribbeans now they say the border king. That was weird that Howard never came up with another name for it. It's just the border kingdom, and it's kind of like in in between Cameria and Aquilonia and that area it's over there. But they have it as like the Baltics, um, the countries close to Finland, namely Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Brythonia was Poland. I'll get to that in a second. Cameria is kind of Ireland. Carinthia was Greece. The southern kingdoms were Africa. Hyperborea is Russia. I'll get to that in a minute. Hyrcania, they have a, like kind of a Mongolian, like that type of civilization. I sort of thought of it more as maybe the cross between Mongolia and Persia, but they have somebody else. Like there's Iranistan, obviously, that's Iran, but the one under the caliphate. Kitai is China. Koth, they have is the Byzantine Empire. I don't know it's, if it's that Turkish. The media is Germany. Ophir, they have a Sicily or Malta. Uh, I Maybe it's some of the other you know, countries that had more jewels in it. Shem is basically that section of the Middle East, Israel, 
Lebanon, Jordan, Syria, the, the parts of it that were nice and grow, can grow things. Stygia is, of course, Egypt. Tehran is Turkish. Vendia is India. Zamora they have as Persia, and they say especially Baghdad, so obviously it's before Iraq. So maybe it would, better would be like Babylon, Mesopotamia, that kind of era, just a little advanced. And, of course, Zingaro was Spain. So that's general. The, the only one they didn't mention here is uh, Kasala. And I speculated on that. It's like, I don't know, because if you look on Hyborian Age maps, it's in a weird, it's kind of next to, Af, uh, they don't mention Afghulistan, but of course that's Afghanistan. So it's near that and Vendia and Iranistan. But it should probably be closer to Kitai because it's really, from the way Baltiar mentions, it's kind of, Kind of Indonesia, Laos, maybe that type of area, not quite, you know, maybe not quite Vietnam and, and Korea like that far, but, you know, maybe that type of country. So anyway, that's where that comes from. So then I did the poem Camiria and sort of had it as Ronaldo doing it as a, a kind of like in honor of King Conan, like trying to suck up to the king and then later... And when Conan blows him off, you know, with some, again, something I made up, I figured, well, what would make Ronaldo go from being the jester, the poet, singer of songs, as Tony Curtis would say, for the king, what would turn him, and I guess Conan just being, you know, get away from me, you fool. You know, you could, you could hear him saying that. <laughs> you could imagine Ronaldo being all upset. So anyway, just figured Camiria would be like, you know, honor, this is where the king's homeland comes from. Not a very nice place. So anyway, yeah, he's born on the battlefield, as Howard brought up. Um, he mentioned in both Black Colossus and Hour of the Dragon. He fleshed out a little bit in a letter to Dr. Clark with the note about his grandfather coming from a southern tribe. Conan's father being a blacksmith named Corin. I think that came from the comics. You know, maybe some of the other stories had about it. I definitely remember the, the comics. I think the Marvel comics mentioning his name was Corin. And then the fact that he made swords obviously came from the movie. Uh, it's, it's weird that Howard really never fleshed out Venarium, but considering he kind of came up with that idea towards the end of the time he was writing Conan, I guess he just didn't have time for it. Uh, then we move on to the Frost Giant's daughter. And just since Howard mentioned that when Conan, after Venarium, he went north. So, well, there's a story here that took place in the north. So that was that. Then in the letter, he also mentioned that Conan was a captive in Hyperborea. So I was like, well, what would make him so mad at them? You know, it, you know, he's just a prisoner, but you know, what would really turn them against? Well, you know, make him be a slave. So what? So I took the things from the movie where he's pushing the, the stone to grind the, the meal, and then at night be a gladiator for the amusement of the nobles. And then when he escapes, he escapes with the wolves and finds the sword. But that's kind of, that I like dismiss as an old legend. So we can kind of draw things in that way. And then as I mentioned in the other, in the chronology story, it's like, okay, well, how can Conan get from Hyperborea to Namalia, which is on the eastern side of the media well if he goes right through brythonia and i kind of thought brythonia was you know more poland so i figured i don't know maybe they're you know the women are blonde and they're all dancing polkas so you know, that's kind of a little happier and then so we do the story god in the ball after that 
as uh, as Dale Ripke pointed out, he he's not he doesn't really know what's going on. He's just kind of there, and he's kind of annoyed that everybody's around him, and he doesn't know anything about civilization. He's just fresh out of the woods, you know, and he's just plopped down, and everybody's messing around with him, and he just he puts up as long as he can, and then he takes everybody out. But then he deals with his first, you know, well maybe second, you know, considering he dealt with Atali. But he deals with the supernatural, and he just like freaks out and runs away. So then next we get to Tower of the Elephant, so we handle that. And I figured just let me not go in depth. Let me just kind of leave it a little bit of mystery. That you know, I was like, well, you know, he never really talked about it, but something happened there that was really wild. Then the next part goes into uh, the Hall of the Dead uh, synopsis with Nestor. And it's interesting what I think the, um, I think it was the Dark Horse series. I think Kirpusia came up with the idea and it was, it was a very good one to have Nestor be the Gunderman mercenary that was mentioned in the opening page of Tower of the Elephant. There's a Gunderman mercenary with a, with a, with a woman on his lap and they figured, well, why not make it him? Because Howard was very interested in the Gundermans. Um, sounds like a comedy show, doesn't it? But he was very interested in the in the Gunderman, especially the fact he, he when he did early writings on them, like with the Hyborian Age, which I'll get to next episode, swear to God. He wrote, he mentioned who the Aquilonians were, and then he mentioned that, that the Gundermans were like absorbed into the country, and then he mentioned a lot of them were mercenaries. So Howard seemed really fixated on them and you know created a whole backstory for them so here was a character from it but interesting how he didn't develop the character in any of the stories but as i mentioned in the chronology the synopsis was written but kind of right around the time howard came up with the hyborian age essay so pieces of it ended up in tower of the elephant as well the whole thing about uh the thurian continent and everything that that came right from the hyborian age so Howard first created the story about Conan being a thief, you know, combining the Hyborian Age with the synopsis of Conan's a thief. So, well, why would the Zamoran army chasing after? Well, this is why. And then the next story after it, like, well, Conan's working with a deserter from the mercenaries. Like, well, and he's a gunderman. Well, we have one. So there he is. So that helps tie them together. And that's why I, like, really really think you can't break up these trees there it, it's a trilogy with the middle part missing that's, that's what it is you know? it's, it's frustrating that he didn't like come up with a story for it but you know considering you know instead he ended up doing tower of the elephant which is you know people look at that as one of the one of the great short stories in you know american literature i guess he did I guess he did well with it now one thing I find interesting about Hall of the Dead, and it's funny how just stories kind of the way Joseph Campbell said, they just kind of just sink into history through civilization and they just kind of make their way through. You know, in Hall of the Dead, so Conan and Nestor go in, they steal the jewels, and then the statues come alive. Now I'm reading it and I'm like, Boy, that sounds exactly like what happened in Jason and the Argonauts when Hercules and the Hylas go to the one, you know, go to the Valley of the Titans. They take the stuff, and then all of a sudden Talos wakes up and starts chasing after him. But that movie was made in 1963, and this synopsis didn't 
pop up into the public in 1967. So it's not like Ray Harryhausen and the screenwriters use that as the basis, but it's just kind of like a story. You know, like, okay, yeah, you steal the jewels, and then the, the statues come alive to, to catch them. So just thought it was an interesting bit of uh, analogy there that just, it, it's kind of like what happened with uh, Poole Anderson's Broken Sword and Tolkien's Children of Huron. You, you look at it, and it's almost the same thing that happens uh, as far as, like, with the family arrangements. Let's just put it that way. Anderson couldn't have read it because Tolkien didn't publish it. It wasn't published in Tolkien's lifetime. The only things that they talked about Turin Taramber in The Lord of the Rings was just like about his sword and he was, you know, a hero and things like that. Plus, I, now that I think about it, I don't think Lord of the Rings had actually come out by the time Anderson was writing uh, Broken Sword anyway. They both came out in, I think, 54. So it's like they can't even use that as an analogy. Though I have, I have a feeling the story of Kiervo back from Kalevala was probably the main source for that. But it's just interesting how stories were almost exactly the same, but they weren't influences on one another because they couldn't have been. Yeah, I came up with the idea of starting to involve Shevetus kind of on the periphery. You know, the thieves all kind of knew each other. That's why Conan knows one of them later. Uh, I'll, I'll get to him and why I called him what I do. Uh, so figure it's like, well, these guys went to a lost city and found some jewels. Well, I know that there's the lost city of Kuchemis. Why don't I go after and see what I can do? Because I'm the best thief ever. And didn't end so well for him, but that's where that's where that came from. So that's basically that's basically episode one. It's all the stuff there. Uh, so then we move on to episode two. Now, episode one, I call Conan and the Thief because it's really about Conan and the Thief. They, and that's the one episode that didn't come from a book, a book title. or anything. It's just Conan was a thief, and there's not really a better word for thief. <laughs> oh, it's called it that. Whereas the second episode, Conan the Mercenary, comes from the title from the Andrew uh, Offit book. So Howard mentioned that right after Rogues in the House, he went, back to Camaria, so I figured out well, how his father passed away, but his mother's still there. But then he had an excuse to bring him back, so okay, it's Wanderlust in him again, and now is the time to have him join the mercenaries. And what's the perfect excuse? Well, we have this two pages here about Yarolet and Conan being involved in a big battle, and everybody's wiped out except for him. So it's like, well, that would be a good idea to use that. So well, what would be the excuse for it? So I came up with the idea that in a lot of the stories, Conan does not like the King of Koth. And considering in an early story, Conan as king ends up fighting against the king, well, why not make him the same king? Why not just make it Strabonus from the beginning? So what could get Conan ticked off? Well, that's just it. And the fact that he calls him miserly. Well, that's just it. Like, okay, it's like, we're a mercenary army. We're here to help you. You just got to pay us this amount. I'm not going to pay you that much. So then they go out to prove their worth and show that they're worth the money and they all get wiped out. So Conan's not mad at that. He's mad at the king for making him do it. So that's that's where I came up with that idea to make the king bonus and have him be like just blow them off. So then after that, I had that's when I had him join the Tyrannian army. Now, Howard never had him join the Tyrannian army. That was purely an invention of El Sprague the Camp when he was rewriting the Conan stories. He just figured, okay, well, you know. The stories kind of mention he was 
in Hyrcania, like in Iron Shadows, they mentioned he's up there. So he should have been in the army. Maybe, maybe as a mercenary, maybe not. So I figured this was as good a place as any to have it. It would kind of fit into the chronology where it would happen. Uh, and then I had him get out of it uh, by using the events of the story People of the Summit by Bjorn Nyborg. Uh, Nyborg's, I, I tried for some I consider him kind of like Ellsbrock the Camp of Lincar, you know. Some of his stuff is good, considering he only did three stories. I include references to all three of them in the uh, in the stories. So this is this is the first one. Uh, so Conan escapes there, and this is when he joins up with a certain uh, certain red-haired female adventurer that I leave unnamed here, but I figured just leave a hint. Just you know, if you want adventure, her story should be red. No, <laughs> just, just didn't want to go all the way. But later on, later on, as you heard last episode, I do name her. I just don't put the other part to it. I kind of just leave that. Could be that Sonia. Could be another Sonia. Anyway, I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, so then we go on to the backstory of Black Colossus. Have the the, the king is captive, and then kind of leave the whole thing about Natok and Thubrukatan, kind of make it vague, you know, leave it out there. Uh, and the thief Esau, uh, the guy that he meets in the desert. I saw him. He's like, well, Esau, as you know, the name comes from the Bible, as Joseph's, not Joseph, Joseph's uncle, Jacob's uh, elder brother, who is basically a big, burly guy. You know, it's not necessarily how he's named, but kind of in reference to that. And the other Esau, of course, is uh, Esau Kjarn from Almeric, whose name we'll get to in a minute. So I figured the guy should have a name. So I figured that's that's a, kind of a good name as any. It's, it's Sheminish, it's that area. So that's good for there. Uh, then the, they, no one can quite figure out a good story to get Conan out of Karaja. Now, I didn't like Shadows in the Dark by Elsprog the Camp. I don't really like On the Mountains in the Moon by Roy Thomas. I figured let, let's kind of you know, have it kind of friendly, kind of nice. Let's not turn everybody against each other. So this is when I bring Almeric in as Strabonus's son. I mean, they just say a rebel prince, and I kind of get the idea that a prince doesn't necessarily have to be the son of the king, but we'll refer to it that way. I just figured, let me do the. I, I'll subscribe to the Al Ripke theory that the rebel prince in Iron Shadows and the rebel prince in Zuthal and Dusk, they're the same character. So this way you get him uh, established as against his father, you know, working working against him. And then I throw in a thing that this will get Yasmila kind of out of the picture that she's attached to him. And Conan's like, I'm good with her, so I'll stick with you. That's why well, later on after he screws up in Iron Shadows, he'll come back. So I'll talk to that in a minute. Now, I did resist myself at one point with Almoric. I didn't throw in a reference to the Iron Hand. I didn't, you know, I, I was thinking about... Like, oh, his nickname was the Iron Hand because of his military prowess, or Conan was kind of his Iron Hand, you know, just because that relates to the to the novel Almeric. That's what 
Isukarn's name was. I just I resisted the temptation to do that. So then Conan goes to Argos. Howard doesn't mention anything about what happened in Argos. Let's just say so. That's why I said it was it was a big war, but nothing really happened. Because well, we don't know what happened. Because then say so. Then we we go to the um, tales of Queen of the Black Coast. Uh, I didn't use anything from Conan the Rebel by Paul Anderson because just I, I also really didn't go into too much what uh, you know the things that Roy Thomas came up with having her father missing and everything. Let me just stick to what's here, but I did use anything that that Howard said that took place during Conan's time on the Black Coast as a as a corsair. There's three different types of uh, ocean-going thievery. There's corsairs; they're in the southern part of the Western Ocean. You have the Moroccan pirates; they're in the middle, and like the Zingaran buccaneers, you know, kind of go around. So you have corsairs, pirates. And buccaneers. There are three different kinds, and Conan's been all three of them. So I know, I know, Deuce Richardson has put put out the theory that it's like there could have been two times when Conan was on the Black Coast. Could have. There's nothing to say it couldn't have. But as I was rereading the stuff, Howard leaves a lot of clues, laying out, telling you where. And it's not just, and it's not just in Conan. It's in all the other stories. Is in practically every other story he wrote, he always leaves clues to something else. So instead of like racking your brain and trying to figure out whether well, it just just do Occam's razor, just if he if, if he mentions when Conan was a, was a corsair, it happened during the, this three year period. I included the uh, the line about you know I live I love I slay, and I just changed it around a little bit because I, I think just for flow purposes. I live, I burn with life, I love, it, it, it kind of jerks up, so it's all right. you just put, I burn with life, I live, I love, I slay, I, it, just, it kind of flows better, just out of the flow. Then I mentioned Pramis, who was the character described in the Dark Horse series. I think he was early on, I think Kurt Busey came up with him, if not Tim Truman did him later in the King Conan series, but I think he was early on, and made the song, believe all those little poems at the beginning of the story just put them together as one it's, and make a poem out of it uh and then the snout and the dark fragment we don't really go into too much because it's kind of fragment we don't really have it uh then so as conan's coming out of the desert he finds out that almeric is going against his father so he joins up with the band and he ends up joining the Kazaki. And then um, I added Yezdegerd in earlier, made him the son of Yildiz. Some some people were thinking, like, well, maybe he's just the same name for a different character. It's like, no, just don't do that. Don't like try to do that. And that's later on when we talk about Terenshi and Tamar, that's kind of where Dale Ripke came up with the idea for that. And I just added a, a new feature to it. But Yezdegerd has already make him like, all right, like, Dad, you can't put up with these Kazaki. You've got to take them out. So he sends Shah Amarath, and that's where we get Iron Shadows from. We get all the uh, stuff from from that story. And then also mentioned is that we don't know how his time among the pirates ended. We just know that Yildiz didn't survive, and Yezdegerd became king. So that's 
part two. So now we move on to part three, and I, I say that it was an added part because originally, if, if you notice the first three parts, I was able to knock off one a week, and then I was originally planning only to do five. I mentioned five at the beginning, and I was kind of, you know, I did one right at the end of December, and then one the first week of January, one the second week of January, and then, you know, it's kind of like the old John Lennon saying, life got in the way of, you know, whatever else your plans were, and just I wasn't able to get the next parts until later. And then I wasn't able to do the King stuff until March. So, so we're way behind where we're supposed to be. And I still haven't done the Howard universe one. It's probably not going to be until sometime in April when I have a chance to write it all down. So anyway, so I named this after Conan the Wanderer, which was the fourth book in the Lancer series. And one of the, I believe the original run of 10 books, I believe this one and Conan the Freebooter it's not a normal term. Yeah. So that that's why I didn't use it for thief, because it's like no one knows what the heck it is. So this is that Conan the Freebooter and Conan the Wanderer were one of two that were not done by Frank Frazetta, the covers. I think it was John Ulio or something like that. Later in the 70s, I, either when Lancer reprinted it or when Ace got a hold of them, they had Boris Vallejo do new covers and they look a whole lot better. I, I, some people complain, Boris is too still. They're not, you know, some of the same complaints people have about Alex Ross. It's like, look, these pictures, they're beautiful. Just enjoy them for what they are. You know, yeah, Frazetta's more frenetic. There's more kinetic energy to them. Boris, they just look good. Alex Ross, they just look good. Just deal with what it is. So anyway, so this part, kind of make up the story about get, getting Conan out of the villiers sea, getting out of the area, just have him take Olivia back to Ophir and sort of also set up the fact that, you know, when Ophir goes bad later, it's kind of like, it's why is it a surprise? And it's like, well, I've always had good relations with the family. And also I just kind of brought Marilo back in, just like, you know, hey, you know, if you, if you want your daughter to have a rich husband, I know a guy. You know, he's now you know, wealthy and set up in Brythunia out of the way. So then we go into which should be born and for however many times i've read the story i'm trying to pronounce the name Constant because see i can't even do it now constantius but i constantinitis i couldn't figure it out I, I gave it to my son i'm like how do you pronounce that name constantius thank you he's like a world history buff that's that's how he knows so i was able to go off of him so anyway so i go into the crucifixion talk about him joining the zuagers and then I mentioned that there are some legends that Olgerd survived, but you now they're rumors because Roy Thomas had to do one set of stories in the comics because they couldn't adapt the stuff that Elspark the Camp came up with. And Elspark the Camp took an El Barak story and turned it into a Conan story and brought Olgerd in that way. But I'm just like, let's just, let's not even go there. Just He's gone and we'll leave it that way. So that, so what should be born was there. And then we've always had this debate. A witch shall be born has him in the Zwaggers. And then Shadows and Zambula has him mention that, you know, he joined him in the, an old Zwagger man. is like, oh, oh, man, Conan, when you were with us, you know, I remember those days. It, it like sounded like it should be separated, but, you know, like one of the ideas that we even came up with was. Like, because there's like an eight-month gap between one part of which you'll be born and the other. And maybe we could put Shadows and Zambula in the middle. I don't know. That doesn't quite work either, but it's an interesting try. 
I know Dale Ripke has them like set apart in the Dark Storm Chronicles, like, like three or four stories apart. They're I'm like, well, I don't know if they have to go that far, but there should be something in between the two to give a little bit of space to have things going on. And that's when I came up with the idea, since Zuthal of the Dust cannot be where it is after Devil and Iron, because Devil and Iron mentions Zuthal, and Conan cannot be <laughs> talking about a lost city that he doesn't know exists until he gets there. I know one of our one of our good buddies over on the uh, uh, Conan, not the Conan.com, but well, actually from the Conan.com days, but uh, Swords of Robert E. Howard, Fernando down in South America, said, well, no, no, it makes sense. It makes perfect sense. Con it's not Conan thinking that. It's Robert E. Howard telling us that. But it's like, well, maybe it's because, you know, he's not a native English speaker. It's like you don't change, like, points of view in the middle of a sentence it's like you don't have the point of view of the character and then the narrator and then back to the point it doesn't the english language doesn't work that way it's like if it's a conan thought this and then he mentioned this it's, it would be like you know conan thought you know it was something strange was up in the air like a 747 flying by is like well that would be robert e. well it wouldn't be robert e. howard but anyway you know but like a plane flying by it's like well that would be robert e. howard talking about that but Conan wouldn't be thinking that. So it's best to move Zuthal earlier. And I came up with the idea of putting it here. So then we come up with the story that Serbonus and Amaric are, are fighting again. And then I also added in that uh, Strabonus was vulnerable because he tried to do something against Aquilonia. And a young count you know, fought him back, count named Trosero. So kind of establish that he's a great military leader here. Uh, so Almeric, you know, sends an emissary to Conan with the Zuagers. And because, okay, it's because, because I like your wife, she's a good friend of mine, then I'm coming to help again if you screwed up last time. Uh, so then we describe the whole bit about where he got Natala from. I, you, get the, you get the impression they certainly enjoyed each other's company. Let's, let's leave it that way. So anyway, so then we go through the whole thing about them going to the south, finding Zuthal. And the only thing I had a trepidation with is because you have the two creatures with, that begin with TH and end with G in back-to-back -back stories. <laughs> so I guess the first one, since with the AU, you have to call them Thaug, and then this one you call them Thog. I mean, they're, they're both weird creatures from... Probably a little Lovecraft, a little Clark Ashton Smith thrown in, you know, just all that. So that's where that all came from. And then have him take care of Natala and, I guess, write her off, make her queen of Karaja. Uh, and then have him be at Zambula from there since he was heading back north anyway. So then we do Zambula from here. I, I started doing something here that I kind of continued through. I don't really mention any of the racial aspects. I try not to play that up just kind of because, you know, just kind of leave it there because Lord knows when we get to the one other story later that everybody says, oh, yeah, there's no way and we can, if they ever do the TV show, they cannot do that story note for note. I would say Shadows in Zambula would kind of be the same way. They're not going to be able to do this as written. They're going to have to come up with some other thing to do about it. But I just figured there's no, no need to go into that. 
you know, because that, that is kind of a leftover from that time period's thinking. So, but yeah, let's not go there. Now, that one quick line in there, some say that Conan uh, found uh, future alliances in this section. It's a very brief and obscure reference to the story star of Corala, Muir uh, Nyberg did. And at the end of the story, the woman that he's been like helping through the whole story says, oh, I'm, I'm going to be going back to Aquilonia now and go to my ancestral homeland, which is uh, the place is known as Albiona. So it's making a hint that she's Countess Albiona from Hour of the Dragon. So I was like trying to tie it in there. There's definitely something that, you know, Roy Thomas would have done if the story wasn't there originally. I'm sure Roy would have said, I'm going to tie this together that way. So then we go to Devil and Iron, and then we have Yezigerd in charge. I ha I added Octavian. They, they didn't mention, uh, they, I think they said the, the King of Nemedia's advisor. I added in Numa just to kind of tie it together all the way through. Uh, other than that, that was kind of it. So that's it for part three. So then we move on to part four. Conan the Adventure, of course, named after the first... Conan paperback with the famous Frank Frazetta cover. And I do kind of use most of the stories in here as the stories from Conan Adventure, just with the shift of Zuthal. And originally, as I mentioned, that the part three was quote unquote an added part, because I was originally going to go all the way from, you know, which shall be born all the way down to Pool of the Black Run. And I just started doing it. I'm like, okay, this is too long. I don't have time for this. Plus, it also allowed me to change what was originally the Black and Red trilogy into the saga of Black and Red. Now, the idea of the Black and Red comes from Dale Ripke putting Beyond the Black River, Black Stranger, and Red Nails in a row for the first time. And all the other chronologies have them separated and done differently. So when we were talking about it, wondering, you know, when there was still a chance that there would be more Dark Horse King Conan stories, we what could Tim Truman do? Because he did all the stuff that was revolving around Conan the King and or wouldn't it be good if he did? You know, people are like, you know, can he do Queen of the Black Host over again? But that wasn't going to happen. So he said, well, why? Well, his favorite story, Beyond the Black River. Why shouldn't he do that? And, and eventually we got around, oh, wouldn't it be better if he did like all three of them, like the way Dale has it? And I, I don't want to say that I came up with the name, but I, I'm trying to think of who did, and I just can't remember if anybody else did. But it started being referred to as the Black and Red trilogy. So with those three, then... I came up with an idea for, you know, as Claude Thornton put it, you know, the fourth story, which we'll, we'll get to next episode. So then I thought about it. I'm like, well, wait a minute. I, I have, in this episode, I'm going to do People of the Black Circle. I'm going to be doing Pool of the Black One, you know, Drums of Tobacco, and Veil of Those Women. I'm sure we can come up with stories that have black in the title that will refer to those, to refer to them. Why don't we just make the whole thing the saga of Black and Red? So that's where I came up with the idea for that. So we start off with People of the Black Circle. Long introduction here. And the thing is, Yar Afzal, it's very similar to the name of one of El Barak's companions, uh, Yar Ali. So you almost wonder if there's like a connection that way. Like I said, it's all tied together. I'm, I'll, when I'll talk about it. That is it. Steve Tompkins first came up with the idea. I was reading in the, the opening to Swords of the North by, by Rusty Burke that he was talking with Steve. 
And Steve Zoo's like, well, you know how Tolkien has this whole big universe of Well, Howard did the same thing. So that's what next episode is going to be about. So we'll get there. So, anyway, so we have Pool of the Black One, the whole story there. Uh, okay, so then we get there. So then we have to come up with a reason why Conan didn't continue with this. So just I came up with the idea of them trying to, you know, take it a step too far. That's what always happens. You take it a step too far and things don't work out. So Conan tries to tell his guys, like, look, okay, I know you're upset that the seven guys were killed. Don't, but a group of them go do it. So he goes and rescues him at Agrapur, which is would be a whole cool story. And then he would bring him out and say, "All right, I'm I'm leaving you guys. You know, let's just just hide in the hills. We'll we'll try this again someday." That's where I came up with the idea for that. So then we have Strabonus causing another war and getting him involved. So we needed the excuse of the backstory to uh, the Tambaku fragments. And I also thought this would be a good place to bring in Thutmecri, the guy from Jewels of Waller. Roy Thomas like added him in like, early, early on. And I'm like, okay, let, let's really like show why Conan really didn't like this guy. And so have him basically come up with the idea of what gets the army wiped out. <laughs> you know? So then he'll just skedaddle out of town and head to the south and he'll be there when Conan arrives there. So then have him, you know, and then also making friends with Amalric. So dealing with the whole backstory there. Sound the Kova getting the And then um interesting that I was I was reading when I was rereading Jules, speaking of Jules Aguala, rereading that, and he mentioned that the kings of Zimbabwe, there were twin kings. And I'm like, I'm like in the mindset after reading, reading all these that Howard doesn't throw away anything. He finds a way to use all this stuff. He came up with the, the idea of the twin kings in the Tumbaku fragments. So he just reused it later. So that's where this came, this was, uh, came from. So uh, the writers of Tumbaku, I later you know, added the name Black Writers of Tumbaku. They were black, so you could say that. So that would also tie into the saga of black and red. So that's all this. And then, you know, Howard doesn't, you know, he kind of doesn't flesh out what happened because he didn't end up right in the end of the story. But you could just see how just things get, get totally out of That's why I said the whole city just gets burnt out. <laughs> you know, the other king comes back in with his people and just like ruins the place. And Conan kills him and the whole place is burnt. And everybody gets killed except for Conan, Amaric. And, and Lisa, so they they get away. So that was that's my thinking to why you put Veil of Lost Women next instead of back where DeCamp originally had it. Because as I said, DeCamp tried to put a lot of stuff after Queen of the Black Coast. It's like that's why he also did um, with her Gods of the North, aka Frost Giant's daughter. That's why he put that behind Queen of the Black because. Well, A, he's got the helmet, and B, he talked about that. So you just changed Amra to Conan. You know, he talked about traveling the Hyborian world far and wide. So that's why it fits there. And then he's depressed about um, Bailey, so he hangs out with this tribe in, uh, you know, Kush, and then he just gets hurt. But I just haven't, he's like, he sets off them to freedom, and then he just ends up hanging around with the, the mulas and ends up, you know, Becoming their chief through, you know, force of will, which he does over over time. 
I thought that'd be better. It's like just like I don't want to deal with with the North End. I've been screwed up three times with them. Like my armies keep getting wiped out. I, let me stay here for a little while. And then he gets bored for reasons. Howard actually ends up using later in Red Nails, but that's one of the reasons we won't be able to do this word for word. And then it's also the fact that you know Conan basically kills a guy he's having a piecemeal with. You know, that kind of like, well, isn't that kind of what he does in Pool of the Black One? So wouldn't it kind of go together that if this is his thinking here, he would just go do it the next time he did? That's another reason why I thought Veil of Lost Women should be here. And then I also brought in the fact to have Thothamon get involved again because Livia was stolen from Cushada which is the Stygian city of magicians. So the fact that the raiders came in there, Tafamon would not be happy about that, so he would send some kind of demon to kill him. But kind of like what happens later when his his mark is gone, they'll just kill whatever else is in front of him. That that was kind of my thing of adding Tafamon as kind of like the trigger to that, even though there's absolutely nothing in the story that would refer to that. So then next one, then we go to Pool of the Black One. And like I said, it's set up there as that. I, I came up, like I said, I came up with, you know, like, as I mentioned in the story, Drums of Tumbalku or Black Riders of Tumbalku. And I wondered if Farnsworth would have, Farnsworth Wright, the editor of Weird Tales, might have liked Veiled Lost Women better if it had the title Women of the Black Shadow. Since he loved, <laughs> he loved using black, and shadows in his titles. So maybe if it was called something different, maybe he would have liked it. Probably not. But So that also that also links in to having this part of the Black and Red saga. So that's the end of that part. So now we move on to part five. And this is the, the original Black and Red uh, trilogy, or Black and Red Quartet as it becomes. So I mentioned at the beginning Conan the, uh, the Conan the Buccaneer story. Uh, that's why I mentioned Sigurd and the political turmoil of Zangara. And they're uh, not in the Chronicles, but talked about elsewhere. And then, and then I came up with, again, Dale Ripke kind of figured this out. That, well, okay, you know, the ship that people are talking about in Black Stranger, I, I guess that's the Wastrel. But if Conan sails away on a ship at the end of Black Stranger, what is that ship? Well, if Red Nails takes place ever, and, and Valeria asks him, why is your ship gone? Well, then they, it can't be that same ship. It's got to be a different ship. It's got to be the Red Hand. So this is where, and this also built in this space, because if you use the Wolves Beyond the Border material and try to fit it in, there's at least, there's two different dates in the two different drafts. One of them says it's been five years since Conan did what he did at Kana Jahara, and the other says 10 years. So I went with the five years because like 10 years would just be way too much, way too much. Five years, we can, we can kind of squirrel around it. So we have Conan coming ashore at Shem, dealing with things there, and then figuring he makes his way towards Aquilonia because the King Valeris, who was mentioned in the Tumbalka drafts, just died. And his son, Nemedides, takes the throne. And Nemedides 
is very expansionistic. He's very, you know, that's why I mentioned what I mentioned later. I'll get to it. Uh, so he says, "Is like, look, I want, I want Aquilonia to be bigger. I want it to keep going. So he said, let's go into the Pictish kingdom. How tough could that be? So that's why Conan, who comes from Cameria, and basically the Picts were right next to them, and that's why they warred for so long. That's why he was familiar with it. So he was able to go up and down and know it all himself. And they just came up with a story about why he had the helmet. Because originally in the Dark Horse series, they made a big deal about the helmet. They even did a story, and I think it was issue 18, about the helmet going from head to head to head. And Kirk Busey even mentioned, uh, I think it was, I think it was, was this, were we still on AOL back then? Uh, maybe. But uh, that, that was fun. There was a lot more interaction that day, surprisingly, back on the AOL boards. But um, he mentioned that this was going to lead to Conan getting his helmet back somehow. It's just he left the book with issue 25, so it didn't get there. So I just figured, well, let's find a way to get him a Chimerian helmet back. So I had him, a Pictish chief had it, and he killed him and took it back. So anyway, so then we describe everything going on in Beyond the Black River. So then afterwards, we try to make the point that Conan turned it into, you know, killing field. So then we had to have figure a way he gets captured and then escapes. Now, we were just talking about this on the board, and one of the guys thought, was like, well, Black Stranger is definitely the prequel. I'm like, wait, 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 wait well, what? Well, because he doesn't really mention, uh, you know, his time in Beyond the Black River, and he doesn't act like it. It's like, you have to always think, how did, how did Howard write this? Howard wrote this after Beyond the Black River. It's meant to be a sequel. Definitely meant to be a sequel. You know? <laughs> So that's so then you so then you figure out okay, so he just he basically just leaves the army at that point then, uh, and then I add in the line that Numenides was kind of behind it, possibly because I think that was the plot of Conan the Liberator. Uh, I haven't read it in a while, so so I, so then we we go through the whole story of the Black Stranger and who the stranger was, and it was interesting when I read it and I throw in the name Strombani. Because for, for some reason, Elsberg the camp thought people would get confused. So he named Strom Strombani just to make it different. Like, okay. So I just threw it in there to refer to uh, things in the past. And then, like I said, it was interesting when I read that the, the prince that Tranico stole the treasure from was Thoth Mekri. And immediately thinking about it, like, oh, wait a minute, that's the dead guy in uh, Hour of the Dragon. So, again, it all links together. So it all ties together. So, all right, so Conan sails away on the red hand at the end. But then we have to figure out a reason for the ship to be brought down by the Zingarans. Other than just being the plane, oh, let's just take out the buccaneer. So in the first draft of Red Nails, Conan mentions he sacked the port city of Valadad. So, okay, that's a good excuse for having being somewhat upset at him. But I'm like, well, is, could there maybe be like another reason? So that's when I came up with the idea of the sort of reverse adaptation. Because what happened with the Black Stranger is when Howard didn't sell it, he rewrote it 
as a story called Swords of the Red Brotherhood and changed the lead character to Black Vomia. He then did, he did another story called Black Vomia's Vengeance kind of as a, as a sequel, or the two of them go together. Now, Roy Thomas, when he was doing his series in, in the comics, he would do a lot of what I call colonizations. Ellsbrock the Camp did a, he took four unused, unpublished Howard stories and turned them into Conan stories. Roy Thomas did the same. He just went through all these different Howard stories and just changed them into Conan stories. And one of the ones he did was Black Lumia's Vengeance, and it was in Marvel Super Special Number 2 as a color version of a black and white story. So I figured I should do the same thing and make that story part of, so, and that's why I, I kind of call it the, the Revenge of the Red Hand or the Red Hand's Revenge. Black Lumia's Vengeance, Red Hand's Revenge. Now, the name Irolando, um, in the original story, Black Movie's Vengeance, the British captain's name is John Wentyard. So I thought, okay, so Garba Spain, let me, let me translate this into Spanish. Let's see how we can do this. So Went, I ended up using the past tense of go, which would be Iro. And then yard, I didn't find any yard exactly, so I, I used land, which would be land. Originally, I had his name as Iro Land, and I thought, well, let me make it a little more special, stick the O on the end, so that's where Irolando comes from. Uh, so basically, then I just follow the plot of Black Lumia's Vengeance and just turn it into a Conan story with a lot of the picks, and I throw in the, the treasure of Tranicos. And then he's left there. And then I say the Red Hand's Revenge is complete. That's where I leave it. So then the next thing is we try to work in the intro into Red Nails. So he has to join Zorallo and the Free Companions. So I have him hunting. And I knew at some point he had to go to Akbatana because he mentions that in Jewels of Waller. So I have him run into Zargiba and his band of Dancing Girls, one of which we'll meet later. Uh, and then mention Sukmet. And then we go from there. He meets Valeria. They said she was Aquilonian. I figured let's add in the thing. She came from a wealthy family and she just wanted to go off and have adventures. She's a rebellious spirit, that type of thing. Uh, and basically the rest of it is just red nails as it was. I don't, I don't think I added anything to it. And I put it in here as a saga black and red because there's, I don't think there's any, well, uh, there's technically another red story, but it, it's Scarlet. Uh, so that was the end of that. So then we get to the first part of Conan the King. I have to find a way to break Valeria and Conan up. So have the old guy say, like, hey, there's in this lost city. And she's like, I don't want to go to another lost city. <laughs> I was just in one. I don't want to go back. And Conan's like, but do you know how much jewel there are? So, so have them split up. Sort of sort of like it is in the movie, you know. You know, she wakes up and he's gone, or something like that. So then I also mentioned that their tales she teamed with a sailor from a sunken vessel to rule the rest and find the old pirate who taught her the ways of the buccaneer. Uh, Howard had done another pirate story called The Isle of Pirates Doom and created a female pirate called Helen Taverell, which is another name he used quite a bit. We'll mention that. Roy Thomas actually turned it into a multi-part black and white story in... Uh, Savage Sword of Conan. It was actually printed after he left. They like broke it up in all like five little pieces. So this kind of refers to that. So then we go on to Jewels of uh, Gwalar. 
pretty straightforward as it is. Then I, then I did something. When I was reading the story at one point, I noticed at the end when you have the beast gets killed, the servant of Yarkin gets killed, and then Muriela and the, the chest with the jewels in it fall off and are teetering. And Conan can only save one of them. And it's like, so he grabs Muriela and the chest, he had to let it go. Because I was just thinking, as I was reading the story, it's like, Dad, I can reach it. I can reach it. It's just a little bit more. Indiana, let it go. <laughs> just For some reason, that stuck in my mind. The other thing that was interesting about this story is I don't know how much of another antecedent it was to a different Indiana Jones movie. But Muriela very much reminded me of Willie Scott in Temple of Doom because she's actually descended down from another string of characters, mostly a couple of women from Howard Hawks movies, specifically Gene Arthur in Only Angels Have Wings. She's this dancing girl, actress, burlesque, whatever. And she ends up in the middle of the jungle with Cary Grant and his band of flyers. And she really kind of acts the way Kate Capshaw did. And I, I almost wonder if, if Spielberg like, told her, it's like, okay, I want you to be kind of like Gene Arthur and Only Angels and Wings. And then the funny part about that was is she didn't think she got the character right and Howard Hawks was just annoyed with her. And five years later, she's watching To Have and Have Not and sees Lauren Bacall, this 19-year-old model, just come on screen and just take over. And after the movie comes out, Howard Hawks comes home and Gene Arthur is standing in his driveway and she's like, damn it, Howard, if that's what you wanted me to do, why didn't you tell me? So, so I just wonder if Muriel has that lineage in her. But anyway, from here, I, it's just, it's strange that Howard never told the story of how Conan really became king. We only know like the little bit. He, he was a mercenary. He went against the king and he choked him on the throne. That is kind of it. The comic books have one thing. Conan the Liberator is another story. Um, Carl Edward Wagner was supposed to do another version and it didn't get printed because the camp did his. So I just came up with kind of a mix of stories and I just figured, let me, let me try something. So at first I have Aquilonia and Turan are in a far off war involving all the countries in between. Now, they're not next to one another, but they're two big empires. So it's you know, a bit of a stretch, but I said, let, let me try this. Let me, let me see. So, so that's how I got all the, that's how I got the Zawagers involved. Uh, that's why Trosero and Prospero were out there. I basically had Conan modeled after a World War II general who fought some great battles out in the desert against the best warrior the other side only that warrior wasn't there he was back home in berlin with an eric so the desert battles are modeled somewhat after el guitar which is why conan uh read the scrolls of the general basur did anyone know that rommel in german is akin to being called like like rubbish so i tried to think i didn't know the arab word for it so i just went to the spanish name and chopped off the a and that's where i get basur from so that's where I get the, the first part of the military battle. But then I use Dale Ripke's idea of having Zingara start attacking Aquilonia from the south. So basically, the, I had the army attacking in one direction, and then the general has to turn them around 
and send them in another direction completely in a counterattack. Just like Patton did at the Battle of the Bulge. So that's that's where I came up with the idea for these two things. Then we go to there, and then it's like they come in for a victory. People first thought that the capital of Aquilonia, Tarantia, was just misnamed in Scarlet Citadel as Tamar. It's like Howard just kind of changed his mind. Dale Ripke came up with the idea that there were two different cities. I did the added enhancement that there were two cities right next to one another on either side of the, the Tiber River. This way, the old capital is Tamar, and then the new capital, named after the King Taran the Wanderer, little Black Cauldron reference there, he created the other town and named it after himself Tarantia. That's why it's big, and that's why Valeris wanted the other, the other one. He was an old-fashioned king, and Numenides wanted the big sprawl. So that's why he, he, he made the capital Tarantia. And then, of course, the Iron Tower is there. So they never really mentioned, they just mentioned Conan. It was one line in Hour of the Dragon. Conan was a prisoner there. And it was just, I think Roy Thomas was the one who came up with the idea that Conan was a general there and was, was trapped in there. And that's where his story, The Man in the Iron Tower, comes from in, I think it's Savage Sword 201. So you kind of play off of that. And then I also added in, there's a lot of turmoil around. King Numa was, you know, he's in the first story, but then eventually he ends up not being the king later on. And then Lady the ground for the turmoil in Ophir. And then, and then I mentioned Stygia also has their leader missing. And then I added in that Albiona was involved in the plot here. It doesn't really say that in Hour of the Dragon. It kind of just says she was a supporter, but figured may as well do it here. So then I also added in, I didn't totally discard the idea that Elsbrock de Camp came up with when he rewrote the Black Stranger into the Treasure of Tranicos that the treasure would fund the revolution. I kind of used it here, but it was like, well, well, geez, what do we got to do? Uh, because it still has that curse on it. So I said, well, we'll seal a Pictish wizard and they'll go, he'll take the curse off, but they'll treat him good. And because if you notice, during the three kings story, the, the Pictish wilderness doesn't really come into play. So it's like, well, that would be a reason that the Picts will kind of like chill, like, okay, Conan may be a Chimerian, but you know he was he was okay to us, so we'll leave it. Uh, and I also throw in the reference to the Thanedar province of Lord Valerian, which is from Wolves on the Border. Uh, and then I added in the little bit of Valeria helping out at the last minute that Conan sends up a signal that only she would recognize. I thought I thought that was a bit of a bit of an interesting idea because I really thought that maybe Valeria would be involved in Hour of the Dragon, but she never really was. Because because he hadn't because he hadn't written her yet, so I thought well, maybe you can add her in, but not really. So I figured this would be a good place to like kind of have her say like a goodbye. That's why I say Valeria was heard of no more. Uh, and then I added we had not forgotten Khan Jahara, uh, and then the uprising by Lord Valerian was defeated by the settlers of Thandara. That's Wolves Beyond the Border, and then I have it mentioned that Tarantia is practically ruined by Numenides guys trying to defend it against Conan. So when Conan takes over the throne and needs a capital, he can't use Tarantia because the place is like a mess. So they're going to rebuild Tarantia. So he's going to move to Tamar and make the capital there. 
Now, right at the end of the revolution here, what I you know, say the date is unknown, but you know, it's forever known in legend as Day of the Lion. That was the name of Carl Edward Wagner's synopsis treatment for his story of how Conan took the throne that was rejected in favor of Conan the Liberator. I also, like I said earlier, I resisted the temptation about Almerich. I resisted the temptation to uh, talk about the satyrs because it's one thing that people have laughed about in Conan the Liberator. Conan has to deal with the satyrs. Uh, I, I was, I was like, I w- would have gone something like some parts of the legend have Conan dealing with satyrs to help him take the throne. This is in relation to another legend where Conan battled uh, a wizard called the Master, his tribe of women, and his servant Torgon in the temple known as the Hands of Fate. You know, to make, make an obscure reference to another Texas storyteller, one who's not quite as uh, not quite as proficient as Robert E. Howard, uh, but you know, Hal Warren is from El Paso, so you know. So then from here, we start laying out Phoenix on the sword. And in the intro, I, I use the uh, both of the titles where Conan, either Conan the Liberator into Conan the Usurper. That's both of the titles there. I used a lot of the intros that Howard wrote, those little poems. So like the, like the one when the world was young and men were weak, I use that as like Epimetrius telling Conan, like his his thing and then the other header i had be from the book of scalos and that's the spell that pothamon read to create the demon then the idea that the sword was actually in mount calamira something i think i don't think the story says that i think i added that and then the two road to kings things there's two of them at the opening of chapters in phoenix on the sword and then there's one in Scarlet Citadel, so I use that as the last one. So I put some time in Phoenix on the Sword of Scarlet Citadel just to give a little bit more time. And then I came up with the idea that Strabonus, having dealt with Thothamon earlier, I added that in, just kind of created that, the drums of Tumbaku back then, that Strabonus would be like, I, I need I need my a wizard of my own. So that's that's why he worked with Sothalanti. Otherwise, I think I pretty much I don't think I added anything in. I was gonna make a reference to Safa being in Valley of the Worm in this uh, episode, but I didn't. I saved that for later because I remember like, oh wait, I wanted to mention that. So otherwise, that was pretty much it. And then the lion stalks again. I had it be written about that. So again, that uh, that opening, those two opening uh, parts of the chapter. Now, the last part I named uh, Conan the Conqueror after the name of the book that uh, Elsbrog de Camp printed out, changing the title of Hour of the Dragon. Uh, some people are upset by that because it's like, well, wait, Conan actually says, he's like, I don't want to be a conqueror. I just want to rule Aquilonia, and that's it. So that's where we named Conan the Conqueror because... Elspark the Camp was like, well, there's no dragons in the story, so I changed the name. Like, it's in the, Howard writes the, the the little poem which tells him what the hour of the dragon was about. And I did change the, you know, in the in the, in the book, it's the dragon's hour. I said, well, can you, we just use the name of the story? Just say, well, this is the hour of the dragon. 
So anyway, at the intro part, just talking about the fact that Conan has a lot of kids. I thought it'd be more interesting to have him <laughs> kind of be like the Hyborian Age equivalent of the old syndicated show, the uh, the Sons of Hercules, where they took all the Machiste and Atlas and Ursus movies and just change them <laughs> like this son of hercules did this and this son of hercules did that so this this son of conan did this and this son of conan did that but the fact that he didn't have a queen meant that they couldn't be on the throne otherwise i don't think i added anything in here um i did use i took the the, the sword that, that slays the king cuts the cords of the kingdom i or empire or whatever i wanted to use that in the scarlet citadel because that's where it comes from but i just didn't have a chance so i said well there's a story just like it coming up next. <laughs> I didn't really play on the fact that the plot of Black Colossus and Hour of the Dragon and huge chunks of the Scarlet Citadel and Hour of the Dragon are exactly the same on purpose. So I just kind of left that there. So I mentioned Zenobia. Yeah, I don't think I don't think I did any enhancements here. Yeah, so this is all this. This is all the venture, Thoth Mekri. I think the thing where I have him burn the temple down with him and the Thoth Mekri and Akavasha in it, I think that was in the comic, but maybe not. I haven't, I haven't read it in a while. The, uh, I think, what was it? The Song of Akavasha in Conan the Chimerian number 15. I think that's it. Uh, and then after that, there's all the different stories about their wedding. Like, I, I just don't agree with Tim Truman came up with the idea that Conan was so against a you know, legacy monarchy that he wouldn't take Zenobia as his queen. He had her as regent. And I'm just like, that's, that's really overthinking it. You know, it's just, he says he's going to make her queen. Let's just do it. Okay, let's just say, and this is it. I think the, the camp is the one who came up with the three kids. I don't know, where, where, Radigund, where did somebody come up with that name? It's like, seriously, it's like you couldn't find anything else? The path to the wedding is a treacherous one. Those are a couple of the annuals that Roy Thomas wrote. And then, of course, the um, the oft-told legend with Yacheng of Kitai, that's Conan the Avenger by Bjorn Nyborg. I don't think they mentioned that he was the master of the four killers, but I just kind of tied it together with, with the, the, the old movie uh, Master of the Flying Guillotine, which is a sequel to One-Armed Boxer. It's like Jimmy Wang Yu kills a couple of fighters at the, at the end of that movie. And then the master of those guys, as we see in flashback, comes with the blind guy. He's with he's the guy with the flying guillotine that takes people throws them, takes people's heads off. So he fights it. So I kind of thought, eh, let me relate it to that. So that's that's where that reference comes from. Both the comics and, and Ellsberg can kind of make Conan and Tothamon like being deadly rivals. Like when we read the original stories, that they never really interact. They're kind of just involved, but they never really go head to head. So I just figured, well, why not just like, okay, you stay over there. I'll stay over here. And, you know, you know the, the end of Pulp Fiction, you know, you know, we cool. Yeah, we cool. You know, there's some, something along those lines. So then the next one is what happened in Hyperborea because Howard mentioned that, you know, you know, because of how Hyperborea treated him, it affected his policies as king. Well, what did, what could he do? What's the worst thing he could do? Well, start a war with them and have it really go bad, you know? And that's so that's what I figured. Have that happen. This is where I, I bring Sonia back in as the queen of Hyrcania. I'm, you know, I know she's queen in the comic books. I don't I haven't read them. I just know she's queen. There's queen Sonia is one of the, the books Dynamite has. 
So I just figured, let me just make her queen of Hyrcania and make that as an excuse. And Hyperborea will attack and Conan will come to rescue and then he'll try to invade. But what happens, and remember, Hyperborea is Russia. So what happens when you invade Russia in the winter? You know, basically, this this is uh, this is our version of the you know, Hyborian War and Peace. You know, except Conan makes out a little better than Napoleon and Hitler did. So, so that's why I have him getting out and coming back, and then making that an excuse for him to go overseas. And like, I got to make things better because now now the winter is winter is coming, and so I kind of tied in Game of Thrones a little bit here just with that. But then he goes overseas, and this is where Sigurd comes from. Sigurd comes back from Conan the Buccaneer. He was in Conan of the Isles. So they go overseas, and first they find a race of pick-like men. Well, since they're Indians over here, they're Indians over there. And then the uh, story of Conan of the Isles is basically mentioned as, like, he battled the demon and earned a new name. And then, yeah, then who knows what happened at the end. Um, you lose track of him and say, well, no, nobody happens. Uh, final, final battle alongside his son. Eh, who knows? Uh, the have him fall into his sleep and be awakened to a battle thought. The man that comes from the idea of the the, the wazir in the, the prince and the wazir in the Dark Horse series. Uh, now, this, there are even stories he joined an ancient king and a modern one, but was left out of the version related by the chronicler. Well, the story is called Kings of the Night, and it's like two of them. And like, well, technically it's two, but wouldn't it be better if there were three of them? And it's like, well, if you were making a movie of Kings of the Night, if they ever make the Bram Moore movie, you know they would, instead of Cole, they would have to do Conan instead. So I kind of thought, let me tie that in. <laughs> because that would be the only way that people would relate to the character. And then the idea that the Hyborian Age comes from nameless cults is in the, the unfinished fragment called The House. I think they finished this house in the Oaks. Uh, so Howard actually came up with the idea that the Hyborian Age was mentioned in... Nameless cults. And I just, I said it really quick because I, I'm taking Mark Levin's advice. It's like, uh, if you can't pronounce it, just say it really fast. So I <laughs> just, I was working with Colton, you know, just get it out. Uh, and then I thought the fact that, well, since James Allison floated around and has so many different identities, you know, why not have him be an eyewitness to a lot? Let, let him be Almeric. Let the, the tale of him at the Red Tower be, you know, you can even maybe think that as, a, you know, a, a different version of Garden of Fear or something like that. So that's where I came with And then I mentioned, you know, that he defeated Sotha later in Valley of the Worm. As I mentioned, it is odd that Frank Frazetta did almost all the covers of the original stories, but didn't do like two of them. It's, you know, I don't know why. Um, and most of them, you can draw them back. You can see where the story came from. Like the cover of the first book, Conan, it's Conan battling Thack and Rogues in the House. The cover of Conan of Chimera is Conan battling the Frost Giants and Frost Giant's daughter. Conan the Adventurer, I guess it could be People of the Black Circle or Pool of the Black One, I, I suppose, because it's not really a story where Conan has a girl hanging off his leg and standing on a pile of skulls. So you just have to kind of use your imagination there. Uh, now, the cover to Conan the Buccaneer is interesting. He originally did one where Conan is choking the life out of some guy in the middle of a battle. And then somewhere along the way, he decided, I want to change this completely. So he like took the men on the bottom, and then he erased Conan out and changed him. So he's 
like swinging an axe at a bunch of guys in a fight. And then he, the name got changed to Conan the Destroyer. And I actually saw that in a, in a museum in New York. It's really small. <laughs> like I was able to take a picture of it with my uh, camera and, you know, and had to walk up close to it to, to make it look bigger than it is. But it was made for a book after all. Uh, and then the cover to Conan the Warrior is uh, clearly Beyond the Black River. Conan the Usurper is uh, from Scarlet Citadel with Satha there on the cover. Conan the Conqueror is just kind of general, you know, him with his arms out in the air with the sword and jump with the horse jumping. That's Conan in the battle at the end, even though Howard doesn't describe it seemed like that. <laughs> Frank had such a vivid imagination. He came up with one. Now, the last one he did, it's kind of interesting. Um, it, the cover of Conan and the Avenger has Conan coming in and woman is lying on an altar and what's, I guess, meant to be Ya Chang is getting ready to sacrifice her. And there's a scene like that at the end of the book. But if you don't want to use it for that, you can actually use it for Black Colossus and you can actually fill in. You know, okay, Conan's coming in. The, the, the wizard is Thugur Katan and the woman is Yasmila. So it's like, that's interesting that you could use that for two different stories. I think that's all the annotations for at least from what I saw quickly. That's all the references from for all the other stories that I had here. So if anyone else knows of any other, please, you know, let me know, send me an email, send, visit me on the uh, Swords of Robert E. Howard boards, and I'll answer it there. Oh boy, it looks like the annotations are longer than the actual episodes themselves. Oh, wow. Anyway, uh, just one quick thing as an end here, uh, some Lord of the Rings news. Uh, one of the complaints I mentioned about the series is that they didn't really have any established people other than uh, Cynthia Adai Robinson and the guy who played young Ned Stark in um, Game of Thrones, who played as Elrond. Uh, and I thought that the series could use some established actors to at least give it more of an imprimatur of being you know, a quality series. No offense to the actors in it. Uh, and this week, it looks like somebody finally took my advice. Not that they were listening, but they did that. Uh, they announced that three more people were joining the cast. One of them is one of the women from Rise of Skywalker. Um, I didn't double check. It might might be the one who plays Lando's either daughter or girlfriend. We don't know. I ended up liking that movie more than most people, more than had any right to, but that's, that's another story for another day. Uh, but the other two are definitely established names, you know, and, and um, solid actors. You know, people watching the show will recognize them. Say, oh, yeah. The first one is Rory Kinnear, son of the late, great Roy Kinnear. He's best known as playing Bill Tanner in the Daniel Craig James Bond films. So he's been in some successful pictures. We don't know who he'll be playing. They want to keep that a surprise with everybody always with the cast. So, but he's involved. And the other, the other person that they added is Kieran Hines, who's a big genre name, been in many... You know, many films. He was Steppenwolf in the Justice League film behind all that CGI. Um, 
he was in Game of Thrones. He was in John Carter. I think he was also in Rome, too. He was in a lot of older stuff. It was like, you're going back, like, oh, yeah, that guy was. So he's an established actor. He's probably the most established actor they're going to have in the whole series so far. So kudos to them for going out and getting a couple, at least a couple of solid actors, just, just to give the series a little bit of, you know, like, you know, not, not like we're just, you know, you know, again, this is no insult to the actors working, but just like, we're, we're kind of just taking anybody we can find. It's like this, this shows you, okay, we, we got some quality people. We got some people who know genre work and they're here. So Eventually, we're going to find out who everybody's playing, but it's, you know, that's how they want to do it. They want to keep everything a surprise. Okay, we'll keep it a surprise, and we'll just see what it is when it comes out. But that bit of news struck this week, so it's good that they can do that. So hopefully now, sometime next month, I'll be able to do the Robert E. Howard Universe episode, because like I was saying all along, everything ties together. One way or another, whether Howard meant to do it or it's because he kept rewriting things and changing them and turning one character into the other, everything is tied together. So it'll be interesting going through that. So thanks for listening to this epic. You know, if you want to do it in more than one shot, be, be my guest. <laughs>